We're now in week two of the Synod of Bishops on the Family, and every day we receive updates about what topics have been covered and what different Synod fathers and delegates have been talking about in their interventions. Last week, we heard from Bishop Paul-André Durocher, Bishop of Gatineau, Quebec. He is the outgoing president of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. Bishop Durocher said that he proposed that the Church begins seriously to consider more prominent roles, more leadership roles for women. His brief intervention focused mainly on violence against women, including domestic violence, saying that the World Health Organization estimates that 30% of women worldwide experience violence by their partner. He said that one thing they could do to address this problem was, as a synod, clearly state that you cannot justify the domination of men over women, certainly not violence, through biblical interpretation. He then made three suggestions. That qualified women, where possible, should be given higher positions and decision-making authority within church structures. That couples be allowed to share reflections during the Sunday homily. And that the church begins to seriously consider making women deacons. Now, before I state my opinion, let me say that Bishop Durocher wasn't really making proposals rather than asking questions. This is what the Synod is, really, an opportunity to ask questions and to have discussion. So no one should be flipping out over this. I think we should absolutely have women involved in the governing of some church institutions and more involvement in the formation of priests and deacons. There's no reason why a woman cannot be the rector of a seminary. I also think it's perfectly fine to have couples or women offer reflections during the Sunday homily. This actually can already be done and it happens in many parishes. The ordained diaconate, however, is a bit of a problem because once women are ordained to the diaconate, then what is the reason for not ordaining them to the priesthood? Either priests are not deacons or deacons are not ordained. You can't have both. The problem is, of course, Phoebe, to whom St. Paul refers to as a deaconess in Romans chapter 16. The problem is that the word deacon means servant. So it's a translation problem. Was Paul referring to her as a servant, which we all should be, or as someone in the ordained office of deacons? We don't know and we'll never know. However, if women were made deacons, would they be ordained or not? Perhaps we need to come up with a new title, a minister that is installed, not ordained, but given certain specific roles that are beyond those of the laity. I'm not sure. Curious to know what you think, especially if you're a deacon. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. We begin a new season of the Salt and Light Hour, Season 8. Can you believe it? Thanks to all who listen to the program and who've supported us through the years. Please continue to support us and to support Catholic Radio. I'm sorry to be harping on this, but what we do takes money, and we depend 100% on donations. Thank you for sending us your donations, and especially thank you to those of you who've become monthly Salt and Light donors through our Guardians program. Why don't you write to me to find out how you can help us make sure that we can keep the Salt and Light Hour and all our Salt and Light TV programs on the air. Today we will have a news update from Rome. There's not much going on except for the Synod on the Family, and our Salt and Light team is there, so Sebastian Gomes will be giving us the update. After that, Danny Torquia will be here to give us some tips on social media. That's in about 15 minutes. 
And this Sunday is World Mission Sunday, and so in about 20 minutes, we'll be joined by Marilyn Santos of the Pontifical Mission Societies of the United States to tell us about that. And we'll conclude our first half with a new segment titled Connect Five with Sebastian Gomes. We're very excited about that. In this first installment, Sebastian speaks with Katie Couric of Yahoo News. In our second half hour, we continue our series on Consecrated Life by featuring part of a conversation I had with Father Richard Holung of the Missionaries of the Poor in Jamaica. Father Holung is a great guest for our show because he is both our featured interview and our featured artist. If you've never heard his music, you're probably going to like this, especially if you're already getting bummed about the weather getting cold. Let's start with a song from Father Holung's album, Working for the Lord. Here's Magnificat by Father Holung and the Missionaries of the Poor. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the Lord my God. He is my all. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. He regarded a maiden low and poor. My soul was Father Richard Holung, the Missionaries of the Poor, and friends with Magnificat from their classic album, Working for the Lord. And we're going to be speaking with Father Richard Holung in our second half hour. But for now, there isn't much church news other than the Synod of Bishops on the Family. You may remember a year ago, bishops gathered in Rome for a Synod on the Family. At the end of that meeting, the delegates presented a working document for this year's Synod, which began two weeks ago. Our Salt and Light team is there, and I spoke with Sebastian Gomes earlier this week. Sebastian, welcome to the program. 
Thanks very much, Pedro. Good Th- to be with you. Thanks for doing this. So um, one of the things that have been, has been very obvious to me, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're there, it seems to me that so far everything looks the same as it did last year. I see a lot of the same faces, a lot of the similar comments. Um, what is your impression as to how the Senate is going so far? Yeah, good question. I mean, uh, if you remember at the end of last year's Synod, there were still a lot of open-ended questions because it wasn't the finish, it was the beginning, so to speak. And of course, we went through this year uh, of uh, dialogue, of conversation, of consultation, and here we are now at the conclusion. Uh, But you're right, a lot of the same issues and a lot of the same people uh, are here again. Um, there's about a third of the bishops, the Synod Fathers, were present at last year's Synod, so there are still the majority of, of the men in the room. Uh, this is their first time you know, uh, at this Synod. Uh, not necessarily their first Synod, but they weren't at last year's Synod. Um, and again, and some of the issues, as I mentioned, are, are the same. You know, the, one of the big themes that's coming up is this question of what do we do with our language? How do we communicate what the Church wants to to say to families mm-hmm. and wants to give to families in a way that's not going to repel them, but one that's going to draw them even closer. Uh, that was very prevalent last year. It's again very prevalent uh, this year. And of course, the other the other thing, I mean, apart from some of the issues, uh, is um, the structure itself. You know, the the methodology of the synod is changing, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting thing because it's changed this year again from even last year. Uh, so, for example, the big thing is that uh, everybody's meeting in small language groups yeah. throughout the weeks now, uh, whereas in the past it's been general congregations where everybody sits in the big room hearing intervention after intervention after intervention, and it's not until the second or third week right. that you go into small language groups to really hammer out some particular propositions. Yeah. Uh, so now people are very familiar already, even after the first week, now after the second week, uh, with the people who are in their group is about t- between 20 and 30 people in each of the 13 yeah. small groups. So lots of different things, yeah. lots of similarities, but it's certainly developing still, and it's developing before our eyes. Well, let me ask you quickly about that, because it seems to me that one of the, uh, I guess, criticisms of synods is that there's a lot of talking, but then nothing gets done. Is the hope then, and that's why you have small working groups, they're actually working on things. They're not necessarily working on changing church teaching. So what are they? What what is the uh, hope for the end of the synod in terms of, you know, what, what policies? They're not changing policy. What, what's happening? Right. Everybody has been very, very clear uh, that this is a pastoral synod. So it's not about studying a particular doctrine of the Church yeah. in order to change it or yeah. in order to develop it. Uh, it's really asking the question, considering what the Church believes and what it says about the family, how do we deal with the realities? And the right. realities are broad and they're complex. Right. And right. so that's what all the small language groups are really, really working on. What, wh- where, does the, where does the rubber meet the road? Where right. does the teaching and, and, and the, the gift that the Church wants to give to the world and give to families, where right. does that meet where people are at? Right. And how do we bridge that? So, which is why the procedure is important, and that I guess that's why they made that change. Now, I know that, uh, and this is the news uh, as of last week, that there's been some concerns among some cardinals about the, the uh, is it fair to say, the procedural, the, 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 or the, the way the synod is organized, or, or how they were going about? Can you explain a little bit about that letter about, and the 13 signatories of that letter? 
Yeah, sure. There, there is a concern among uh, some bishops and cardinals uh, with the process and the process leading to um, uh, the drafting of a final text. The real issue that some, some of them have uh, is that the ten people who were selected by the Pope himself to draft the final text uh, the, the the worry is that they're all of a particular mind and way right. of thinking, and uh-huh. so that they themselves don't reflect the broad, diverse uh, positions and points of view that are present inside the Synod Hall. Now, yeah. most people don't think that's true. Uh, I want just want to say that I do want to remind you that it is a, a smaller group of people, a smaller group of cardinals. And the letter that you mentioned, mm-hmm. in fact, was only 13 who were allegedly associated with this letter uh, written to Pope Francis to say, we do have these concerns. Uh, but even, you know, since the letter was first published, at least five of the cardinals have made official statements saying that they didn't actually sign it. Right, and it's 13 uh, just so the people know out of 250 bishops or something that are... 260, yeah, 200, plus, yeah. yeah so. Right. Um, but they're not just, I mean, th- we had some Timothy Dolans. I mean, these are not just any cardinals that have, or, you know, there's some cardinals that have signed the, the letter. So even though Yeah, that's right. I mean, even our own cardinal in Toronto was, was Thomas uh, on, the, on the list of 13. Yes. So, yeah, it's a, significant, uh, it's a significant thing. But what has also come out now is that the letter was actually written before the Synod even started. Right. And if you remember on the Tuesday, right after the, the Synod started, Pope Francis decided to take to the, take the floor, and he made a couple of points yes. in response yes. to that letter. So I think the fact that the letter came out now, somebody else has an ulterior motive here. Right. Uh, but I think that even the cardinals themselves who are associated with that letter are pretty well satisfied after Pope Francis's intervention last mm-hmm. in the first week on Tuesday when he said, "Look." Trust the process. Be patient. It's developing. You know, we have to kind of see how how we can make this the most efficient, most effective process. We're not changing church teaching. We're not changing the doctrine. You know, and uh, and and then this synod is not only about communion for the divorced and remarried. It's about much more than that. Right. So those are the points the Pope made. And I think if you were to ask any of the cardinals who were involved in in, in that letter. Uh, today, they would all say, yeah, we were satisfied with the Pope's response. We expressed our concern, he answered it, and now we move forward. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you very much for what you're doing, and uh, and don't work too hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fascinating to see it up close, Pedro. Uh, trust me. So I'm very happy to do this and to speak with you today. Okay, good. Hopefully we can talk to you again towards the end of the Synod. Absolutely. Okay, bye. That was Salt and Light producer Sebastian Gomes from Rome. After I spoke with Sebastian, he gave me another update on the summary of the main themes that emerged from the small language groups. Now, this is not comprehensive, but it's a good reflection of the variety and depth of the discussion. The groups thought that the synod should produce, first, a clear, concise, and positive definition of marriage. They also suggested that the synod use more references to scripture. Many groups said that the language of Scripture is key to communicating the Church's teaching on families. Some mentioned the Book of Tobit and the Song of Songs with its powerful expressions of mutual love. Many bishops also would like to see the Synod produce a tool for praying together as a family, reflecting on the Word of God together, really helping to build the spiritual dimension of family life. Some groups suggested that it's necessary to find a new language. This is arguably the most central theme of the Synod thus far. The bishops are saying that the Church's teaching does not connect with people, and it must be adapted so that people can understand it. Another suggestion 
is that the church needs to seek to understand young people. In many parts of the world, young people aren't getting married or having children. Is it out of fear, as the uh, working document for the Synod suggests? Some groups said that we can't jump to conclusions. Young people are passionate and courageous. Perhaps we're not listening carefully enough to them. And lastly is the issue of mercy and its relationship to justice. What does it mean to hold both together? Considering the upcoming year of mercy, should the Synod say something directly about mercy in the life of families and in the church? So it sounds like there is lots of good discussion happening. You can get daily Synod updates at our website. Just look for our daily perspectives or for Inside the Synod. It's all easy to find at saltandlighttv.org or on our Roku channel. Hi, this is Joe Zambone, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Welcome back to the program. Danny, first show of the season... Yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for having me back, Deacon Pedro. I know, and you know what? We're going to talk about social media. Specifically, I've been thinking about Twitter, and the first thing I'd say is people can follow me at Deacon Pedro GM. So here's my specific question, because so I'm, is it fair to say that I'm a public person? I have a, I'm a public figure. Uh, my Twitter account is Deacon Pedro. It's not my personal account. Is it possible for me to have both? Is there a line there, or what, what, what are your suggestions for people who work for, I guess, any organization, but specifically for the church or priests, bishops, you know, is there such a thing as a line that is blurry or, or, or no line? Well, you know what, I, I think um, whenever I talk about leadership roles, you know, public relations and communications is about leadership. So uh-huh. whether you're behind the pulpit or an ambo or celebrating mass, or whether you're a youth minister or a leader, executive director of a charity, or any of even uh-huh. an HR executive or director, you're leading a group of people. It's a it's very much a a role that has a, a front facing or a, an important audience group more mm-hmm. public, and 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 so the answer is there's not you can't it's not easy anymore to have a line between what is private and what is public. Even private conversations, private correspondence recently with cardinals to a pope right. is readily and easily yes. made public. Yes. So everything we do in, in, our nor- in our new society, everything we do, everything we write, everything we say, potentially could be shared, recorded, uh, live-tweeted, and, and all of a sudden there's really no line anymore between private and public. Mm-hmm. Even when you're with your children, you, you, know, you know that there's, you're, the, the whole world could be watching through a friend who's next door, so, and, and I think we just have to accept that. Once we accept wow. that, mm-hmm. then uh, because I'm not the kind of person who would encourage uh, a belligerous or like a fighting-oriented confrontational style. In other words, if someone goes into your privacy, sure you can law, you can sue or you can start right. being like pick a fight. Yeah. But I'd rather tell people accept it. You're on the public. You're on the leadership role, whether you're a parent or a director of five people, uh-huh. and you have to come to terms with that. Therefore. Look to be unblemished as much as you can. Look to seek a find a road of professional development as much as you can, and that translates into that translates into review your emails two times. Think very carefully about what you're publicizing or what article you're retweeting. Mm-hmm. Think think extra carefully 
when you're con- confronting a difficult topic. And, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat things, but you don't also want to be a negative or a Debbie Downer or a Debbie, Danny Downer, for <laughs> my name is Dan, yeah. and, and focus on negatives. Uh, um, you know, it's better to hear toe the higher road. Uh-huh. And we, we Catholics, we Christians have a great example in Christ who did not allow himself to be brought down into difficult battles of semantics and words. He always found a way to elevate himself over petty disputes. Right. I yeah. think all of us should f- look for that. So there's no line between a personal account and a professional account, in my opinion. Okay, that's good, because I think a lot of people would have heard that and, and just been terrified. I, 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 I think that I post anything that I post as Deacon Pedro, it's, it's, I'm in my office as, as Deacon so I'm not going to say anything. If it's my opinion, I might say this is my opinion. But I'm very careful to, you know, if I'm going to disagree with something that the church teaches, then maybe I'm not going to post it. Not because I don't think I can disagree, but because I think that the people who might be following me as a deacon might be confused by that, because you, especially if it's on Twitter. So do you think that there's a difference between, uh, let's say, a bishop who might, and 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 I guess it ha- you know during the synod when they're having discussions about I I, I began the show talking about uh, the ordination of of women deacons mm-hmm. and and that's you know that someone can it, there's nothing wrong with us having the conversation um, but to say that you know how we say something that is not church teaching or is a different against doctrine might be confusing for the people who are listening to it or who are reading that tweet. Do you think that we have a responsibility when we're speaking on behalf of an organization, in this case the church, to, to walk the talk, to talk the talk, hmm. and not give our own opinion? Well, it's okay to encourage people to think and to, to search for, the, for, um, to tr- search for truth. But um, so I won't, you know, offer an opinion on, on this particular topic or all the topics that the bishops at a synod are discussing. But... Obviously, it's it's that uh, we have the catechism. Clearly, the catechism and teaching, canon law. These things are not things that are easily moved, and probably you know, there's nothing wrong with beautiful, uh, time-tested, true um, teaching from a magisterium. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. We don't need to just progress for the for the sake of progression. Um, or, but but I think it's a bishop or someone has to realize that and weigh their correspondence or their messages mm-hmm. through all these media. Uh, or medium that are available to them. So mm-hmm. we just cannot take things lightly. Like we have an office, we have a role, but w- we have a leadership role, and we have to weigh our words. And all of this expansion and explosion of social media is actually reminding people, like me, who talk a lot sometimes, mm-hmm. the word is bloviate, to talk a lot, talk a lot, talk a lot, to realize, you know what, let's maybe bring back word economy, thinking carefully before we speak, measuring our words a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. and I, Thomas Merton, I love all, all his works. haven't read all of them. But one thing was, it's amazing how much we spend time talking and talking and talking, but truly there's nothing new said. Right. Okay. And that... and that's what's happening a lot. So there's no point in a bishop or, or someone in charge of a charitable group or church function, church organ, to start jumping into the rat race of social media, blah, 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 just because he or she wants a share of the vo- of the of uh, mo- of noise or yeah. share of uh, word of mouth or yes. or share of uh, voice rather yeah 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 it, it, instead it's better to speak quality yes uh, remember that if someone clicks on your Twitter account and they look at your tweets it's better that they see quality tweets 
than a bunch of garbage. Yes, absolutely. Because your voice, is, your personality, your persona, who you are is, is, is being presented there. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is good advice. And you know what? I think we're going to have to continue this because I have so many more questions about um, how we use social media and, and the, the traps, but also the, uh, the opportunities. So let's leave it there, but we'll come back to this topic next time, Danny. Very good. Well, it's, a, it's a very deep topic with lots of layers, so it'd be great to, to dive into other areas. Uh, good, absolutely. Better. And maybe our listeners have some questions or comments that they want to share with us. That would be great, too. You bet. They can reach me through Twitter, at DeaconPedroGM. Uh, thank you very much. Danny Torquia is our public relations expert, and he's also the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him or complain to him on Twitter, at Dan Torquia. This is Joe Morales. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. This Sunday is World Mission Sunday, and I bet most of you have never even heard of that. But to tell us more, I am now joined by Marilyn Santos of the Pontifical Mission Societies of the United States. Marilyn, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro. It's good to see you. Last time I saw you, we were in Puerto Rico. It's not Puerto Rico anymore. <laughs> no, just a little cooler, wouldn't you say? I know. It's freezing in this, in this part of the <laughs> continent. Anyway, um, World Mission Sunday, what, what is it? World Mission Sunday is actually a liturgical celebration that is celebrated in every single Catholic parish around the world on the same day, which is always the Sunday before the last in the month of October. Okay. So this Sunday, then, it's th- this year it's October 18th. October the 18th or the 17th if you go to the Vigil Mass. Right. So it's celebrated around the world. What, what are we celebrating? And, and with, starting with the Holy Father, it was instituted as a commemoration um, of the, each one of us call to missionary discipleship and the work that the Catholic Church has always done for our brothers and sisters around the world, frequently amongst the poorest of the poor. So it's a day where we ask for the prayer, the animation, the celebration, and the financial offerings for the missions um, in over 1,100 mission-dependent diocese at this time um, in history. Right. So, so the, the support that comes in on World Mission Sunday is really the, the primary means uh, for the work that then goes on throughout the year, which is you know, estimated at over 75,000 schools and 11,000 hospitals and 6,000 orphanages, and just the, the, the amount of work that is able to, um, to be undertaken um, because of one particular celebration is really awesome. It's really uh, overwhelming to see how generous people um, in the Catholic Church can be. Okay, so on Sunday, World Mission Sunday, we pray, we remember, we celebrate. You said animate. I love that. And then but we also give money. So are people expected to, there's going to be a second basket being passed yep. around? Yeah, there is a second collection. And depending um, on how each parish um, designates it, we the, from the national offices, we do supply every single Catholic parish in the United States, um, and certainly I think of the Americas, yeah. get a, a packet, yeah. which has some a poster and some information, as well as special envelopes for that second collection. So you can certainly, when you go to Mass on the weekend of the 18th, um, be on the lookout for it. Hopefully um, the posters should have been up for the entire month of well, giving you a little bit more information right. um, on, on the specialness of the day. Okay, so if this is a, 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 a note there for pastors, if they haven't been putting up their posters, <laughs> you need to start because maybe you missed it this year, but for next year, because um, I know they do get sent. Now, tell me something. So this money gets collected and it gets distributed to missions and missionaries throughout the world is what you mean. Correct. 
correct. It, it gets distributed to the um, uh, 1,150 dioceses and individual works um, that happen in, in mission-dependent countries. Um, this is um, they all apply for projects to Rome to the Vatican, uh-huh. and because we are evan- our evangelization is our primary focus, that automatically disqualifies us for any um, NGO. So really, um, every last penny, every last dollar comes from the faithful. Okay, and maybe quickly, because you work for the Pontifical Mission Societies, so the, that is the these are the four societies that are the Pontifical Societies, the, the Vatican, I guess, organizations that take care of missions and missionaries around the world. So that's how it gets distributed? Correct. Um, it all goes to what is called a, um, a general fund, and then throughout the, the, the people up in the the secretarial offices in the Vatican sift through all these really wonderful applications that mm-hmm. come in, what they call projects, and then there's a whole process there. And every year um, it is incredibly heartwarming to see the amount of projects that are approved, but it is, it is equally as um, disheartening sometimes, I have to say, because there are a really wonder, a large amount of projects that are deemed um, eligible and worthy, and yet um, are not funded, quite simply because the money ran out. Right. Now, lastly, I think that there's another component here in that we're all called to mission. So this is not just for missionaries and people doing mission out in, in other countries, but so what does all this mean, would you say, for the regular Catholic that is sitting in the pews? Sure. For the regular Catholic, uh, which is the majority of us, mm-hmm. um, it, it just really, we use the word animation, it's a hopefully a little more of a, a wake-up call that I too am called to be a missionary, even though I'm not the one who physically is in another country or another mission diocese, but I still have to pray for um, my fellow missionaries, my, my brothers and sisters, um, whether they are already have been evangelized in fullness of the faith or not, they're still my brothers and sisters, so I need to pray for them and, and also offer. Um, I, so I can be a missionary um, by going or I can be a missionary by giving. And sometimes we're called to do it both ways, by giving and going. Absolutely. Good. That's, we're going to leave it there, Marilyn. Um, this is uh, uh, important, I think, and, and I, I want to encourage our listeners that they should go to their parishes, and, and if there's nothing happening, let your pastors know that we need to be remembering and celebrating missions and encouraging mission um, in all our parishes, and people can go and find out more if they just look up for Pontifical Mission Societies, either in the United States or in Canada or in whatever country you're in. Mm-hmm. Pontifical Mission Societies, I'm sure you'll find a website. Sure, and actually another good place for them to go is they go to missio.org. Right. Uh, if your parish is not doing anything, then there's a lot of good ideas of, of how you can still take up your call, your mandate to missionary discipleship there as well. Excellent. So that, is that Missio with two S's? Missio with two S's. Missio.org. Excellent. Thank you, Marilyn Santos. So good to talk Thank to you Thank you, again. Pedro. Marilyn Santos is the Director of Mission Education for the Pontifical Mission Societies of the United States. Hi, I'm Janelle, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning about something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with Katie Couric, Yahoo Global News anchor on the rise of digital news and media's moral obligation. Katie Couric, no stranger to television. Uh, (laughs) Everybody knows you from from ABC, from CBS, from uh, your own show, Katie, that you had your talk show. 
uh, and now Yahoo News, the global anchor. Talk to me about the transition from that traditional form of news to, to the kind of digital news that you're working on now. Well, I've been so privileged to have the career I've had and feel incredibly fortunate to have done a morning show for 15 years, anchored an evening newscast for five, done a talk show for two. And when I looked at the horizon and the media landscape, I, it's undeniable that things are really shifting from linear television to digital content. And I've been someone in, who, during my career, has always been excited about taking risks, trying new challenges, and an opportunity at Yahoo became available. And I thought, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to learn for me to be able to tailor content for a digital audience and and really to have the the time in the real estate the the endless real estate you have when it comes to online programming and i found that really exciting and something that i hadn't done before and an opportunity to learn a whole new skill set while also employing the experience i've already um, accrued from my television career. What do you think are the factors in a good news story? What makes up a good news story? I think compelling human stories. I think caring about a person. I think that's the best way to really explore an issue is see that through the lens of someone who's affected by that issue. So if you're doing a story on prison reform, to tell a prisoner story. If you're doing a, a story obviously on homeless people, you, you actually get into, you know, walk in the shoes of someone who's experiencing that. Um, I think something that, that has not been explored very deeply makes a good story, where you can really roll up your sleeve and, sleeves and peel away the layer of the onion and, and, and arrive at some greater understanding, at an issue that people are talking about but not really thinking about in a meaningful way. So I think there are all kinds of great stories that can be told. I think good storytelling, good writing, good production, really an immersive experience. I think people want to feel that they're a part of the story now in a way that I don't think they did even five years ago. Uh, television, I think, does things in a very kind of formulaic way. And now I think you see entities like Vice and other video um, outlets really taking you with the reporter inside and, and having you come on the journey. And so I think, I think authenticity and, um, and human stories all contribute to making something compelling and something that people really want to watch. I want to ask you a question that, uh, that Pope Francis asked actually in 2013 and it has become one of his most famous quotes but it comes in the form of a question. I just want to pose it to you. He said, how can it be that it is not a news item when an elderly homeless person dies of exposure, but it is a news item when the stock market loses two points? How would you respond to that? I think he makes an excellent point. <laughs> I can't say I disagree with Pope Francis. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, news gets to be cynical and, uh, you know, a lot of it is driven by the bottom line. And so stories about finance or the market are interesting to a wide swath of people because it affects them, you know, and it affects their pocketbook. 
where broader social issues, where people may feel helpless, it's hard to get them galvanized and, and care. But I think we do need to do a better job. That's something that I try to do as a journalist. You know, they say our job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think oftentimes we fail when it comes to that mission. Katie Kirk, thank you very much. Great to talk to you. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Katie Couric of Yahoo News. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5. Coming up in our second half hour, a featured chat with Father Richard Holong of the Missionaries of the Poor of Jamaica. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Francis declared this year to be the year for consecrated life. So throughout the year, we've been doing various interviews featuring people who are living consecrated lives. Today, an excerpt of a conversation I had with Father Richard Holung of the Missionaries of the Poor. When you were baptized, was that a, a, a personal choice or was your, were your parents also supportive of your coming into the church? They were supportive. Yes. They saw in the sisters mm -hmm. uh, something that was extraordinarily tender-hearted again. There were women who were interpersonal with the students mm -hmm. and uh, told of values that were very, very much like Chinese values. Family okay. life, uh, simplicity, love of nature, respect for everyone, right. and so forth. Right. We're drawn to that. Yeah. So you went to the Jesuit high school. Yes. How old were you when you went there? I was 12. And you finished your high school there? Yes. Quite. Yes. Not, well, how old were you when you graduated? 17. And is that, at that point, did you decide to continue your studies with the Jesuits? or? Um, I felt uh, drawn to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I remember there was this wonderful man who came to Jamaica, uh, Cardinal Cushing okay. from Boston. Uh -huh. And his grandfatherliness and his uh, sense of humor were so attractive that I felt as though I wanted to serve God. Right. And then the Jesuits live community life in a, in a very beautiful way. They supported each yes. other. Yes. There are men uh, dressed in habits. I yes. love that. Uh, they were very brotherly and kind mm. and so forth. So that even though we could hardly pay for the school fees, um, they just let it by. And right. uh, I continued. And I, by the time I finished high school, I, I wanted nothing else but to serve the Lord. Really? And, you, and to serve the Lord with the Jesuits? With the Jesuits. those might not necessarily be the same thing. Right. Um, you never went through a period of, of doubt or, or insecurity or... or no. Or through, through, my, through my high school, yeah. I was very, very clear about it. Uh -huh. There was one day when uh, a statue was brought to, to the football field in, in, at St. George's College. Yeah. And I remember all the kids were out, out on this field and we were uh, following the statue uh, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And we said the rosary together and we went out in the streets and we came back and I saw brilliant light in the sky uh, as though the Lord was shining uh, down upon us and showering abundant graces. And I said, you know, there's nothing else I want in the world but to serve the Lord. 
Amazing. And it clinched it when I was, oh, I might, might have been 14 years wow. at that time. Wow. So then you finished high school, and then did you join the Jesuits immediately after? I worked for two years. Okay. I worked at the airlines. Yeah. Yes. And then you joined the Jesuits. Yes. yes. And how long were you with the Jesuits before Missionaries of the Poor? Uh, from 17 to 41. Oh, okay, so a long, long <laughs> 24 time. 24 years. A full career. Yes, yes. A full career. Yes. And as a Jesuit, did you, were you in Jamaica? Yes. Okay. Uh, I studied in Boston because uh, Jamaica is a mission okay. of, of Boston. Yes. Ah, okay. And uh, so I did my novitiate there, philosophy, yes. and then also my theologate. But I had two years of regency, which is your teaching period uh -huh. in Jamaica. All right. And uh, it clinched things for me. Mm -hmm. It was very, very, very clear to me. There's nothing else I wanted but the Lord. Mm. But at that time, there began to be some upheaval even within the Jesuits. Yes. You could see changes taking place like mm -hmm. uh, derobing, right. uh, lack, lack of commitment to community, mm -hmm. secularism, individualism. Uh, I had a very beautiful uh, studies program and an excellent early formation in the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. But there was erosion beginning to happen. Right. This was around the 70s, early 70s? Yes. 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 So at the same time that you were noticing these changes or that these changes were happening, um, you were also noticing that there was a uh, a poor church that needed tending to. Ah, uh, yes. First of all, it was really the loss of identity that was happening within the Jesuits. Okay. And then uh, I began to become more and more committed to the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And in the Word of God, I found the person of Christ. He actually visibly came out uh, at me. So it was no longer an intellectual exercise. Right to have gone to, but to teach at Boston College, to mm -hmm. go to graduate school and to get degrees. That seemed irrelevant at that particular time. Right. And then I began to notice people on the streets who were very, very poor mm -hmm. and forgotten. And then correlated with what you saw in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I began to say, but uh, teaching about poverty and teaching about justice is a whole lot different from living, living the life yeah. of poverty and uh, serving out in reality yes. justice reasons uh, that, that Christ put forward in the Beatitudes. Let me ask you about that because Pope Francis talks very similar to what you're saying in terms of his experience around the same time, 1970s. Yes. Can we not be a church that helps the poor without actually being with the poor? No. Why not? It can't be because then you end up being the donors mm -hmm. or the masters. No, I, I'm not, certainly I'm not against charity. Yes. But we as a church should be a church of the poor. Mm -hmm. You see, there is a, I think there's a struggle within the church. Uh, and the, uh, there, I had to make the distinction myself. Are you going to be a part of the church of Christ? or are you going to be part of the church of the world? Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I can't, although I had all that the Jesuits had to offer. Right. I had to be authentically, as a Christian, yes. and much, uh, much more so as a priest, I had to be Christ, mm -hmm. you know? And the identity between Christ 
and a priest as well as uh, Christ and any Christian yes. has got to be you are like him. And the extent of your love and your service depends very much on how far you want to travel with mm -hmm. him and how deeply and how completely. And I had no, I had no, no, no option. Yes. Either or. Yes. I realized there's no half measures. Uh -huh. Either I was going to be poor, with the poor, committed to the poor, mm -hmm. and living out the word of God. Either that, or I was going to talk about it. Yes. Which is pure compromise. Yes. You know? You're listening to a conversation I had with Father Richard Holung of the Missionaries of the Poor. We haven't spoken about it yet, but Father Holung is an accomplished composer and probably best known for his Caribbean mass. Here is a song that many of you may have heard. Our Father who art in heaven, holy, holy, holy be. Father Richard Holung, the Missionaries of the Poor, and friends with the Our Father from the Caribbean Mass. Here now is the second half of my conversation with Father Holung. 
So you went from being four brothers, brothers of the poor, to being missionaries of the poor and being recognized as missionaries of the poor. And now, more than 30 years later, you've received pontifical status? Recognition, Is that what yes. it's called? Recognition. Right. Tell me about that. Uh, there are now 550 brothers and priests. Uh -huh. And then we began the sisters just three years ago. Yes. We have 25 sisters. Uh -huh. And it, it's growing. And uh, it really was wonderful when we received that pontifical uh, mm -hmm. status. Yes. It was done uh, in the time of Pope Francis, who is also Jesuit. Yes. Tremendous uh, boost for us. Yeah. Because now we understand that the, the church at, at the highest level has said, go forth, spread the spirituality of service with the poor all over the mm -hmm. world. Let it be, because you, you're no longer just yourselves, yeah. but you now belong to the church. Yes. You know? So go on, go on, spread it everywhere, anywhere. So we're opening a, a home in East Timor in August. Right. Brother Gusto announced that, our new general. Yes. And uh, so we're going to be there. Mm -hmm. We were requested to be there because there's a community of lepers mm -hmm. who have no one to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And the bishop there asked if we could take that on. Okay. Now you mentioned Brother Augusto. He's the new superior general, yes. which means that you've retired as so superior to general. <laughs> yes. So to speak. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but I, 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 I still, I, I try not to obtrude. Uh, but as founder, as founder, you see, you, you, you have the whole vision in your mind, mm. and I'm still alive, and I'm fairly strong. So yes, yes. <laughs> so I try to try to do as much as I can yes. to assist. Now, Father, the first time I heard about the missionary of the poor, I it was, had nothing to do with the poor. It had to do with the music and the shows. Yes. Tell me how that began and how that fits into the ministry to the poor. The music, I, I can't play any instruments, I can't read music. Okay. But I, I found that over the years, uh, just so much music has happened inside my mind. Uh -huh. and, and even sometimes when I was driving a little Morris Minor, songs would come in my mind and I had to stop because I was becoming so distracted. Right. And then a lot of times at night I simply cannot sleep because all this music was happening in inside of me. And unless I got the music out, I, I couldn't sleep. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, I'll be obedient. <laughs> and so I began recording them on a little tape recorder. And uh, <laughs> then I had other people listening to the music and then the little kids who were not so interested in mass <laughs> began to hear this music that was very Jamaican, yeah. whether it be reggae or it would be mentor yeah. or revival type of music. Yeah. And they just lighted up a church. So I said, all right, maybe that's a sign. And so I wrote, I wrote. And then uh, after doing uh, songs for worship, we advanced to doing concerts uh -huh. and again those were really very successful and then from there I began to write larger themes because yeah, like my background musical. is in literature okay. so I began to write larger themes I began to construct stories out of uh, Isaiah the prophet Isaiah and Jesus Moses 2000, Jesus 2000 Messiah now Messiah. which is the latest one uh, David King David, David. Yeah, so these King are David. big theatrical big, productions right 50,000 come every time we put it on in Jamaica. And do you have a, a group of 
actors, singers, or are these some of the people that you work with, that you do ministry with, that participate? Do you do it for fundraising mainly? What is? We do it really for proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. If, if that doesn't succeed, any amount of money is nothing to me. It has got to generate the person of Christ and a spirituality that I think we Christians need to see and understand the incredible power of, of a King David or a Isaiah or Jesus or, or Moses. Jesus, yes. They need to see the reality of it, mm -hmm. which is my first intention as mm -hmm. a writer. Mm -hmm. I bring people to Christ and first seek the kingdom and other things and will, follow. will follow. Right, place. yeah, people give once they see what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's become, it's been 44 years of doing music. That's amazing. And they, they, they're all volunteers, they are the singers and so forth. Mm -hmm. But incredible talent have come yeah. our way. The best of talent you could imagine. Yeah. Famous people who, yes. who, are, who are singers in reggae and so forth and known commercially. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I have one last question because we've, we've been talking about your life, your vocation, you're a missionary, you're a musician. You're, you're doing all these great work yes. because you're religious. Yes. So what does it mean to you to, to be consecrated, to be living the consecrated life and in the context of what we're celebrating this year, the year for consecrated life? To be consecrated life means I'm married to God. Okay. And that's it. That's final. And I'm glad that's he's committed to me. Yes. And I'm glad to be committed to the Lord. And I want nothing else. I, I, it, it is, as you think of the consecration mm -hmm. of bread and wine, that's how deeply I consider it, you know. This is now the body and blood of Christ. And the consecrated life to me means that I am Christ. Mm -hmm. I, I must live like him and be like him and be faithful to him. Uh, and all I want to do is to be united with him in thought and word and deed, everything that I do. That was an excerpt of a conversation I had with Father Richard Holong of the Missionaries of the Poor earlier this year. You can find out more about them and their music and how to help them at missionariesofthepoor.org. Here now are the Missionaries of the Poor and friends with Father Richard Holong's When I Look at the Heavens from his album Working for the Lord. the moon and stars I shout your name I praise your name oh God when I look at the oceans the beasts of the sea I shout your name I praise your name oh Lord my God you made humanity a little less than your divinity oh Lord my God we marvel you are great you crowned us with your glory and your love. When I look at the flowers, the rain and We're listening to Father Richard Holong's When I Look at the Heavens from the album Working for the Lord. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that you can always reach us via email, Facebook, or Twitter at Salt and Light TV or reach me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us via direct voice message right off our webpage saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You can comment on anything that you hear on this program. We will read or listen to every message and hey, maybe we will read some of them on the air. So go to your computer or mobile device and send me a message. 
If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. This show would not be possible without the support of our featured artists and all our guests. So check them out and support their work. And also remember our partner radio stations, the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, Holy Family Radio, the Lamb Radio Network, the Barraga Radio Network, and Relevant Radio when you're making your donations. And remember us too. This show is completely free thanks to donations, so please contact us to learn how you can help keep the Salt and Light Hour on the air. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Shout